TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning to you and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. I want to thank you for joining us. This week, we're going to focus on health and tips to help you. Later on this hour, we'll focus on the medical profession and the information getting out to North Texas during this COVID-19 crisis with a new coalition of medical professionals that just formed about two months ago. But first, June is National Men's Health Month, and every month should be both Men's and Women's Health Month. And joining us now is Daryl Griffin, Territory Vice President for the American Diabetes Association. 34 million people are currently living with diabetes, certainly a staggering number. And hopefully, uh, if you are one of them and you're tuning in or you know uh, someone or, or people who are a part of that number uh, we can give you a little education and, and an understanding of uh, what this is all about and, and ways that you can maybe help uh, yourself or some of your friends. Uh, Daryl, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here, and thanks so much for having me. All right, Daryl. So first thing I want to ask you about, if you don't mind, just a quick history of the American Diabetes Association and, and how we got to, to where we are here today. Well, the, um, the American Diabetes Association has been in existence since, uh, since 1940, so it's celebrating its uh, 80th anniversary this year. And, you know, the American Diabetes Association is really here for two reasons. One is to prevent and uh, prevent and tr- to prevent diabetes, to cure diabetes, and to improve the lives of those living with diabetes. That represents our mission, with the vision being a life free of diabetes and all of its burdens. And so, when you you know the staggering statistic that you shared at the beginning, you know, 34 million Americans that have diabetes that represents 10.5 percent of the U.S. population. Um, and the and the surprising part is one in five don't know that they have it. And so when you talk about Men's Health Month, one of the things that I would emphasize right off the bat is for men, because we tend to wait until something's wrong before we go to the doctor. And we need to change that from a behavioral standpoint and go for our annual physicals, uh, go to get regular checkups. That's the only way that we can own our condition and even find out um, you know, what we might be dealing with. Um, because another staggering statistic is there are 122 million Americans that live with either diabetes or pre-diabetes, which represents actually 37% of the U.S. population. That's crazy. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. It, just when we, you know, some of the statistics surrounding diabetes, uh, like I said at the beginning, are, are absolutely staggering. Now, uh, Daryl, this is a, a journey and, and a challenge that you've had to deal with. I'm curious if you don't mind uh, if you could share a little bit about your diabetes journey and, and maybe some of the, the things that you've done and, and changes you've made to your lifestyle that have helped you along the way. Yeah, and I appreciate you um, asking that question because actually my family um, has a history of being impacted by diabetes actually this past Sunday. Um, my family, we celebrated, if you will, or honored the, uh, the passing of my grandmother whose life ended prematurely from the, um, the effects of diabetes. And so on June 14, 2005 is when she passed away. And it's impacted many generations since her, including me. And so about seven months ago, 
I went in for a regular checkup and they did some blood work. And uh, turns out that my A1C was at 5.8%. You know, the normal range is uh, below 5.7%. And A1C basically is your average blood sugar levels over the past two to three months. And so I was approaching, or at that point, I was in the, the range of what's considered to be pre-diabetes, which is a range of A1C between 5.7% and 6.5%. Anything above 6.5% is considered uh, to be, you'll be diagnosed with diabetes. And so immediately, you know, I'm 46 years old. Um, you know, I played football in college. Um, you know, I was an athlete all my life, and all of a sudden I'm faced with a life-altering, you know, um, decision that I'm having to make. Like, seriously, it's either um, I continue on the path that I was on and end up um, either on medication or some of the other, you know, byproducts of diabetes, or I make a change. So I was at a critical crossroad. And I was actually pretty active, you know, um, but I had to increase my level of physical activity. I had to increase... Um, the, the ways that I ate in terms of healthier eating, be more conscientious of it. And so my wife and I actually at that point began uh, walking, honestly. You know, we start, we take Zumba regularly, so we love doing things like that. But we started walking, you know, miles every morning. So we'd get up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning before we would go into the office, and we'd walk about three to four miles a day. And now we've increased that actually to five miles a day that we walk. We could do that in about an hour and a half. And, but it gives us a good opportunity to talk. And I'll, I mean, I've lost 10 pounds uh, over that period of time. I've changed the way that I've eaten from a diet standpoint. Nothing, um, you know, drastic, but I'm more conscientious. And now my A1C levels are actually down in the 5.3%, you know, well into the, into the normal range and continuing to improve. And so, you know, we can own our condition. We just have to embrace where we are and then immediately take the steps um, to, to start to, as we talk about, bending the curve against diabetes. I don't want to be a statistic. I want to be part of the, you know, the folks who are just thriving normally. And even if I were diagnosed with diabetes, we offer tips and strategies to help people thrive with diabetes. Well, first of all, Daryl, thank you for sharing your story because I know, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's a it's a personal journey, and, and not everyone is as forthcoming. So I appreciate that. Second of all, I know lifestyle changes aren't easy. So congratulations and a tip of the cap to you for for being able to make those adjustments because it's easy to come on here and say, well, I did this and I changed this, but I I know uh, that that's not that easy. So congratulations to you and and hopefully continued health and success as, as you. Uh, continue on that journey. Uh, just uh, we're going to get later on into how you can contribute to the American Diabetes Association. I just want to give you guys and gals listening this number. You can text to donate at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. You text diabetes to 717 Six zero and also information on the website diabetes.org and uh, if you go to the website Daryl you can see uh, that you know the website has nutritional advice uh, and you know guidance in, in that regard and, and you kind of shared a little bit about your lifestyle change but for people listening maybe someone who just tuned in a few seconds ago what are some of the nutritional elements of advice you would offer? Um, it's really about, uh, and we actually offer a resource. And so if you're looking for um, what to eat, because that's the number one question that we get, whether people call in to our call center or search online, uh, we're wanting to know what is it that I can't eat. And so we have what's called the Diabetes Food Hub, where you could actually go online, look at different types of recipes. You can print shopping grocery lists. Take those to your local grocers and, you know, shop for, you know, thriving with diabetes. And so that's, that's an amazing tool that we have available free of charge to anyone um, to utilize. And so we definitely encourage people to, to go online and, and so seek that information because all of that is validated through our science. We have a, 
a nutrition team that uh, looks at all types of foods that are um, that are beneficial for individuals living with diabetes so that we can continue to you know maintain a healthy lifestyle. Daryl Griffin joining us here, Territory Vice President of the American Diabetes Association. Daryl is is one of us here in DFW, uh, lives in Plano. Uh, stay away from uh, Preston and Frankfurt, Daryl. I'm not the world's best driver, so hopefully I, I don't get in your way too much. Uh, all right, so also on the website, there are some tests that people can take that are quick and easy and, and, and provide a lot of information. Some uh, will tell you if you're maybe uh, at risk for type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's called the diabetes risk test. It takes about 60 to 90 seconds for you to input data. It will spit out a result um, based on your individual information. And it also gives you resources. And so you can immediately, if it, if it says that you're either pre-diabetic or diabetic you, uh, or with diabetes, you can then sign on to receive um, coaching information, all free of charge. And so you can visit diabetes.org forward slash TX1 risk test. And that is a link that is specific for residents of Texas, but it's diabetes.org forward slash TX1, the number one risk test. Um, and so speaking for Texas in general, in the state of Texas alone, there are 2.9 million people living with diabetes, which represents over $26 billion in health care that is spent treating diabetes and its complications just in the state of Texas. And so when you think about the impact on not only individuals, but also on employers, on the communities at large, it, it really behooves us to address diabetes as the uh, most common underlying chronic condition in the United States. And, and you know, and so we talk, we're living in a pandemic right now. You, re you referenced COVID earlier. Um, diabetes was a pandemic before COVID. And it's only, you know, complicated even more so with COVID. And so, you know, and I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I just wanted to underscore that, you know, to share why the risk test is so important. Again, Daryl Griffin joining us. We're talking about diabetes and, and ways to deal with diabetes and, and deal with the challenges and then also ways to support the American Diabetes Association. Daryl's the territory vice president of the American Diabetes Association. And again, uh, the the diabetes risk test, uh, test and, and information all online. Go to diabetes.org. Uh, and then if you want the direct link, uh, to the the risk tests, I'll give you a, a couple reads here so you can jot it down. Diabetes.org slash TX1 risk test. Diabetes.org slash TX1 risk test. So we'll make sure to read that a little later on in case you're in the car and, and not in a position. We certainly don't want you texting and driving or, or writing and driving. Uh, all right, so... I guess we talked about the pandemic, Daryl. So with the pandemic, a, a lot of things have changed. They've, uh, you know, schedules have been altered. Uh, events have been canceled. And, you know, I think a, a big community that has been impacted uh, has been the, the community of events that are fundraisers. And the American Diabetes Association is, is in that group. So uh, with events canceled, uh, how can how can our listeners in North Texas help uh, the American Diabetes Association and kind of uh, support what you and, and your team are doing. Yeah, so thank you again. Um, so our events have moved to a virtual platform. And so rather than uh, being canceled, we're encouraging people to, um, you can like our Tour to Cure that happens in Dallas. We have, it's the virtual Tour to Cure. You can participate in your, you know, where you are in your local communities. We, we want to encourage individuals to join us. But in, in, in addition to that, you referenced the uh, text to give earlier with the text diabetes to 71760. Or you can also, you know, as part of our, because uh, what's happening with COVID is, is unfortunately, you know, with shelter in place and things like that, I know the state is starting to open up more, but 
people have started to adopt more of a sedentary lifestyle. You know, you're inside more, you're not moving around as much, and that contributes to unhealthy eating and, you know, all of the things that would lead to one becoming either pre-diabetic or with diabetes. And so we we started a movement, and it's actually called Move Your Numbers, hashtag Move Your Numbers. And so we, we want people to show people how you are thriving even in the shelter in place, even with the COVID-19 um, in your home. So as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I walk in the morning and I'll do a social media video for, you know, Twitter or Facebook or what have you, but I use my hashtag move your numbers. And we also have a website where you could go and contribute, learn more about the move your numbers challenge, but you can also contribute at diabetes.org forward slash move. And we also encourage people to leverage your social platforms to post your videos, are you doing your workouts, are you cooking a healthy meal, or are you practicing mindfulness for mental health, because that's another aspect of this that we also need to be mindful of, so that we can encourage others to do the same. Because, you know, with one, we can encourage a whole community. With a community, we can encourage the nation. And so, you know, each one of us can reach someone within our spheres of influence to make a difference and show them how to move your numbers. Hashtag move your numbers. Uh, I need to start doing that when I uh, when I go uh, for my walks or I guess uh, the excuses that that I call a run. My uh, my running these <laughs> days not not very good. I think it probably is a guy thinking he's running that's closer to a walk. Uh, I, I want to get into to the exercise element a little bit more in a bit, but but first because the the COVID nineteen pandemic is you know very much if not on top of people's minds, it's tough to ignore it. I, people with diabetes, how does how does the pandemic impact them uh, significantly? In fact, actually, one third of the U.S. COVID patients have diabetes even though people with diabetes only make up about 10% of the U.S. population. So think about that. 30%, 33% of people with COVID have diabetes, while only 10% of the U.S. population have uh, diabetes. And so 90% of the hospitalized COVID patients nationwide suffer from at least one chronic health condition with diabetes been, being one of them. Um, diabetes is the most commonly reported underlying health condition among all COVID patients. You know, in Mexico, you know, I know we're talking about the U.S., but in Mexico, 43% of the people who passed away from COVID had diabetes. And so, again, from the pandemic standpoint, you can see just how this is having an impact. And same thing in England. One-third of the COVID deaths in England have been people with diabetes. And so we're... um, for, for people who are living with diabetes, it's important that we continue to practice social distancing, it, that we continue to um, monitor uh, the, the environments that we place ourselves in because we are at one of the highest risk populations to have the, some of the most devastating effects from COVID. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you know, everyone in the, in, in, that's in our listening audience to think about everyone that's around them. Think about, you know, the things that you may be exposing your loved ones to, you know, as we start to open up from a state standpoint and understand that there is a group of individuals who are seriously at high risk, at the highest risk. And and so we monitor that accordingly. And then, okay, so, and just to kind of restate, because, you know, we sort of touched on this, but if you have... uh, if you have diabetes uh, and you have corona, uh, you know, those two things, uh, you know, working together, obviously you read some of those numbers, but I, I just want to confirm. So are you, you, you do face symptoms that maybe others don't if you have diabetes, but you are or you are not more likely to get it? You're not more likely, but if you do get it, with diabetes, the impact is much more severe. Okay. Because it's an, it's an underlying con, uh, condition that's just exacerbated by COVID. Perfect. I just wanted to make sure, uh, you know, for people listening, we, uh, we kind of restated that. 
Now, Daryl, I want to ask you, you know, we talked earlier about your lifestyle changes and, 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 you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, who have been in your shoes have, have gone through a similar challenge. So the first question I always like to ask people when, uh, you know, they, they undergo a lifestyle change from a nutritional standpoint, what's the food that you now eat a lot more of because of your lifestyle change that you actually really like, that you didn't realize that you like as much as, uh, as you do? Um, I would say, to be honest with you, it's probably fruit. Um, that, I, that I'm really conscientious of, of my fruit intake and water intake um, to because there are so many natural benefits of fruits and vegetables that uh, you tend to overlook. And every now and then you might eat a strawberry or an apple or an orange or things like that. But, you know, we, we make fruit smoothies um, for breakfast every morning uh, after we walk. And, and, you know, and they're delicious. And, you know, we, we uh, incorporate fibers, uh, things of that nature, just to uh, continue to rid our bodies of the toxins that, that are in it. But I would say fruits and vegetables and, and water, the simple things that, that you can find accessible, um, you find what you like. And similar to walking, as I mentioned, as a form of exercise, you have to find what you like. Some people walk, some run, some jog, some do Zumba, yoga, Pilates. I mean, whatever it is, but it, it has to be what you enjoy and what you can do consistently and the things that you're willing to make time for to incorporate into your daily life. Daryl, I know you know you mentioned water, and it, it's such a simple thing. Hey, drink water. Uh, and, you know, we all, I, I gosh, I hope we all drink water to varying degrees, but you know, the, the recommended amounts of water sometimes, uh, for some people maybe are, are challenging to reach because, you know, whatever reason uh, that water is not their favorite beverage or they just, they don't think during their busy day to take the time to, to drink the necessary water in order to for you to stay properly hydrated. Do you have any tricks, anything that works for you, uh, a schedule, a routine, so that you make sure that you're getting the, the proper amounts of water? Well, I keep a, um, I keep a water bottle at my desk um, all day long. And, you know, in between meetings, everyone's on these Zoom meetings and, you know, any type of virtual platform. Um, but I try to at least uh, empty that thing at least three times before, um, you know, before my day ends. And so by doing so, I know I will have at least drank about between 32 ounces and 40 ounces of water a day. And that's up for me. And, you know, from what I used to do, it may have been just a glass of water a day. And so what I say, you know, it's like whatever you're doing, whatever your water intake currently is, just see if you can double it. If it's one glass, drink two. If it's two, drink four. You know, that way it becomes more you make healthy a habit more than going on a diet or trying to get on a regiment and things like that where it may have a, you know, you either pass or fail. It's not about that. It's about making healthy your habit. And if you do it consistent enough, your body is going to respond and then eventually it's going to crave it just like anything else, any other habit that you form, good or bad. And so if I say if you do that, if you get up and you walk two blocks, the next day see if you can push it to four. The next day see if you can push it to eight. You know, I come from the city of Chicago, and where I come from, eight blocks made a mile. And so if you can walk eight blocks, you can walk a mile, you can walk two. You know, eventually it just builds up, and you develop the muscle memory, you know, that it takes in order to, um, you know, do it consistently. All right, now we talked about the walking, and you just mentioned it there. Uh, and, and you said, you know, today you went on a walk with your wife. I, when you don't go on a walk with your wife, do you listen to music? Do you uh, you have podcasts? Oh, you just thinking yeah. freely? What 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 what's going on? Oh yes, I'm, I mean I usually listen to music, or I listen to um, motivational um, motivational speaking or podcasts or things like that, just to get me going. Or just that's kind of my alone time, just for me to center and, and get my thoughts right uh, for the day. And, you know, especially for me doing it early in the morning, I mean, you know, it makes me so refreshed and ready to go and attack the day ahead of me that uh, now I can't start a day without it. Or if I do have a day when I don't walk, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. 
And so then I'll have to go and walk in the evening or something like that just to get my balance back. But, yeah, it's something that uh, I don't go without now. So, okay, you, you've talked about being centered and balance, and, and earlier you talked about mindfulness. And, and I think that, you know, chances are people listening right now, they're more familiar with mindfulness today than, say, gosh, five years ago, uh, because I think it's something that is more commonly talked about and, and maybe even if, if, you know, for lack of a better word, more respected as a, a proper form of, of betterment and, uh, you know, just a, living a healthy lifestyle. How has, uh, I guess, subscribing to that and, and, and just being aware of, of mindfulness and, and, you know, your, your, I guess, inner health, if you will, how has that impacted you? Oh, it's very significantly. And, uh, you know, to me, I think everything starts with the mind, because if you if you believe, you know, such as a person thinks or believes that's that's your reality. So regardless of whether it's true or not. And so you have to coach your mind, you know, and I know this is a sports talk show. And so I tend to speak through the athletic realm. I come from a athletic background myself. And just like um, if you were preparing for a game, you know, my coach, my high school coach would always talk about, you know, you lay in the bed at night and you visualize yourself making that play, being successful when the pressure is on, you're delivering for the team, things of that nature. That's a form of mindfulness to get yourself ready and focused and, and um, centered on what's ahead of you, the things that you may need to rid yourself of in your life, the people who are closest to you to help empower you, that builds you up into the person that you are, the person that you aspire to become. You know, all of that is so critical because that becomes a catalyst for you to continue to think positively and then take positive steps, you know, from day to day. And and that's why it's so important for me. So what, whatever you call it, whether it's mindfulness or, you know, some people get into meditation or prayer or things of that nature, but Whatever it means to you, I definitely strongly encourage people to uh, to focus on it. All right, we're talking with Daryl Griffin, Territory Vice President of the American Diabetes Association. Uh, just some information, I want to remind you, the general website, diabetes.org. Pretty simple, diabetes.org. Earlier we referenced and Daryl shared information on a few tests that you can just take Online, they take sixty to ninety seconds. I mean, we're, we're talking about no time at all. Uh, you you go online. I'm going to give you the website. It's you can determine risk for developing type two diabetes and, and pre diabetes. Diabetes.org slash tx one risk test. Diabetes.org slash tx one risk test and then of course you know foundations organizations like the american diabetes association they do such great work they need our help they need uh, the help from from the people of north texas uh, especially right now where hey chances are people don't have as much disposable income to donate and, and events and fundraisers uh, have been or will be canceled there's a really easy way, uh, whether it's $1, $5, I'm, I'm sure Daryl would certainly welcome $100 or, or whatever you're comfortable donating. Just text diabetes, the word diabetes to 71760. That's 71760. Daryl, but before we let you go and, and certainly appreciate the time, I'm curious, what's something maybe we haven't covered that you think is important to know about uh, the you know the condition of, of having diabetes or or maybe dealing with and interacting or supporting someone you know who has diabetes or anything about this subject. What's something we haven't covered that you think people should or would like to know? Yeah, and, I, and thanks again for the time and um, and I appreciate this last question because I, I want to underscore what the di- what your American Diabetes Association is um, doing in terms of the fight on your behalf, you know, as we fight this pandemic and you, you, the listening audience, continue to stay healthy and safe. You know, the American Diabetes Association is advocating for $0 copay for insulin during this emergency, pushing state and federal efforts to ensure insulin is affordable and accessible, working with our state and local lawmakers 
to make it easier for people living with diabetes to receive care within social distancing restrictions. Uh, We're protecting people with diabetes who've lost their jobs by supporting legislation that guarantees uninterrupted health insurance coverage. And lastly, helping to waive the in-person requirement for the continuous glucose monitor coverage throughout this crisis. So we just say continue to fight to stay healthy and safe and know that your American Diabetes Association is in the background and in the forefront fighting for you. Well, Daryl, once again, uh, this is Daryl Griffin, uh, Territory Vice President of the American Diabetes Association, joining us here on Better Living. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much again for for taking the time to educate us and and also sharing your story about your diabetes journey and uh, ways that that we as a community can can rally around those uh, who have dealt with some of the same challenges that you've dealt with. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Jared, and look forward to uh, the next time that we can talk. Joining us now to talk about a brand new coalition to provide you with the latest unbiased medical information and education is Dr. John Flores of the North Texas Medical Society Coalition, NTMSC. If uh, you like acronyms and the NTMSC represents more than 11,500 physicians in the communities of Colin, Fannin, Dallas, Denton, Grayson, and Tarrant County. And, uh, you know, we like to highlight North Texas living here on Better Living, and I don't know that there's anyone who uh, better demonstrates that uh, than Dr. Flores practicing in Little Elm. He's been there since 98, uh, board certified, went undergrad to UT in Austin, so he strayed a little bit outside of North Texas, but stayed in the state and then uh, got his, uh, he went to medical school at UT Southwestern and then Methodist Hospital is is where he completed his residency. So uh, a lot of local ties here for Dr. Flores. And uh, he is, uh, as we talked about, uh, very involved, the chair of the North Texas Medical Society Coalition. Uh, This is a group that was started this year, obviously, uh, in response to a lot of the stuff that's gone on. Uh, it includes, they, they work with community health care partners, including public health departments, hospitals, business leaders, to advise on medical recommendations to serve the health care needs of the residents of North Texas. And I know it's a lot to digest. We're going to uh, go over a lot of that stuff with Dr. Flores, who is joining us right now. Dr. Flores, thanks so much for taking the time and being with us here this morning. Sure. Thanks for, ha- thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, looking into us and talking more about what we're doing. It's really important for this area of North Texas, you know, for the North Texas doctors to say, hey, this is the right thing to do. You know, we, we really felt like in North Texas nobody was giving our patients a clear voice about what's important when it comes to this pandemic. And so that's why we got together. And, and hey, I appreciate you mentioning all my Texas connections, but I do want to uh, say that I did grow up on the south side of Dallas and Duncanville. Give a shout out to my friends down there still. There you go. Hey, you got to give Duncanville some love. Absolutely. So, all right, Doc, you, you, you just kind of gave us a little bit about the, the why uh, the, the North Texas Medical Society Coalition was formed. Uh can you give us a little bit about the how? What's what's the, the full picture, the origin story of the North Texas Medical Society Coalition? You know, so some of my colleagues in Dallas and Tarrant were talking amongst each other and saying, you know, we're all having the same struggles in our practices. You know, we need the PPE or the personal protection equipment. And, you know, we all work for the Texas Medical Association. We all have similar goals. So why don't we get together and talk about these things and see how we can address them and, and really make some change? And that was pretty much the impetus for the, for the coalition. And so, so these two doctors talked to their county leaders, and then they talked to my county leader. And so we all got together and started meeting uh, once a week and then sometimes more than that about all these issues. All right. Now, I, I got to ask. And, and, you know, you, you kind of presented the origin story. There, there are a lot of people involved. You're the chair. Uh, so how, how did that all come about? And, and obviously this is not something that you were forced to do, I don't think. This is obviously something that you're, you're passionate about. So why, how and why uh, are we speaking to you, the chair of the coalition? 
Oh, sure. You know, I've been involved in what we call organized medicine versus, you know, your typical doctor in duty where you take care of patients. You know, I've been involved in politics and as far as, you know, my grassroots involvement over the last couple of decades and also at the Texas Medical Association where we get together and say, you know, what's right for our patients, what's right for our doctors, and then we help make policy. And so I've chaired... Uh, a couple of, uh, of the committees at the Texas Medical Station on a statewide level. I'm also involved in the American College of Physicians, which is a group of internal medicine doctors, and I've uh, had leadership positions there and at the American Medical Association, uh, where I serve as a governing counsel for one of the sections. And so, you know, um, I think my uh, colleagues recognize that and uh, uh, decided to put me in charge. And really, we're all kind of all on the same level. We don't. You know, we're all not we're not being paid for this. This is totally voluntary. Uh, you know, we spend this time outside of our regular patient care hours. And so any kind of organization organization like this, you want to make sure it's run well and it's well organized, too. And uh, I just kind of help in that in that mode. Dr. John Flores joining us here on Better Living. We're talking about the North Texas Medical Society Coalition, or as uh, Dr. Flores shared with us a couple minutes ago, you can just call it the coalition uh, to uh, to have some word efficiency there. Now, uh, you know, a big part of anything with medicine is, is information. And gosh, you know, I, I know my wife, Doc, anytime she gets a bumper bruise, she's going online and you see a million articles. Some are, are credible and reputable. Others are not. And, you know, usually all that happens is she just gets uh, probably more worried than she needs to. But I, I know this is a, a big part of what you all are trying to do is is uh, streamlining and, and, and diffusing information to make sure there is clarity what do you notice about this? And, and I don't want to say problem because information is good, but, uh, you know, as someone on the medical side, what do you notice and, and what would you say to people who will just kind of freely use the Internet to, to seek out information? And how do you all go about trying to make sure that the right information and the clear cut uh, steps and solutions are out there and available? Yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to the way, you know, I cro- when I do my grassroots politicking. I, it's not about left or right for me. It's about what's right for the patient. And it's the same thing here. You know, there's issues that have come up on the pandemic where there's clear science, but at the same time, there's some question. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people. They think that things I know is are right and wrong, or this is the right way to treat this, that's the wrong way. But there's so much gray area. And so we're hoping to say, you know what, this might not be the only answer, but we feel like it's the best answer, and we want to make sure we give that voice clearly. And at the same time, we're not partisan. We have people on the left side. We have people on the right side. We have a lot of people in the middle. But for us, it's making sure that we can push through all those articles you see on Facebook saying, oh, well, this person said we should be doing this, and that person said we should be doing that. And and our feel is, okay, what does the science say? You know, what is our training as as uh, health professionals tell us is the right thing to do, the most appropriate thing to do. And that's what we do, you know, when it comes to uh, the studies, you know, a lot of us are like, okay, you know, we've been practicing medicine, taking care of patients day in, day out for the last 20 years in my case, and I don't do research. But at the same time, when I trained for those 13 years, I did look at a lot of studies, and I know how to read those studies. And, and you know, when you first look at them, you're like, well, what is the R not? And what does a, a, a controlled study mean? Why is that important to know that a study is done correctly? And so we're there because our patients trust us. The community leaders trust us to make a decision that's not based on, on politics, but what is based on the right thing for our patients in the community. Doc, I know, you know, a part of the goal is to provide clarity, but the reality is, you know, there's going to be someone today, hundreds, thousands, millions of people today are going to go and try and find some information online. Is there a general, and you kind of just referenced, uh, you know, studies and stuff like that, that might be, uh, you know, thumbs up uh, things to identify like, okay, you know, this, you're probably on the right track, but are there any red flags or things to consider when you do seek out information? If, if you've got to jump on the internet and, and try and find something uh, sooner rather than later, what, what are some of the things that, you know, might green or uh, might, uh, you know, give your stamp of approval? And, and what are some things that are, are commonly red flags that people come across? 
Well, I, you know, when in medicine, there's, there aren't any uh, fast fixes. You know, if somebody tells you, oh, this is a great treatment for that or, you know, you know, this is the right way to do it, the only way to do it, you all, that's always a red flag. In medicine, there's no right way. There's no totally wrong answers. It's, it's always kind of in the middle. So when he, and anybody tries to sell you uh, a treatment that's, oh, yeah, this is the best cure, in my mind, I always step back and say, okay, let's look at the proof. And let's make let's take those steps to make sure that it is the right thing. And sometimes, you know, you're like, holy cow, that was crazy. You know, I made back in before I, you know, started practicing, somebody came out with some studies showing that a bacteria caused ulcers. And everybody thought he was crazy and it was proven true. You know, but he had his basic research and science done right and finally we all accepted and now we treat ulcers with appropriate medicine, antibiotics and acid blockers, and that keeps this recurrent uh, ulcer problem happening now. And so it, it, it's a lot of that. You've got to make sure the science is done right and make sure it's not a quick fix because that's most likely a red flag for us. All right, we're talking with Dr. John Flores about the North Texas Medical Society Coalition. This is a group uh, that is made up of more than 11,000 uh, physicians in the, the North Texas communities, and this is a, a new coalition. This was started in 2020. Uh, okay, so you know, you, you've talked about you know, not dealing with the left or the right and and you just want the right information and when i say you know this you, you want the right like as in check mark right not political right or, or political left how how do you guys go about dispersing the information the unbiased medical information received to to the people of north texas uh, most importantly is our facebook page you know it's basically that same thing north texas medical society coalition and on our Facebook page, we actually live stream Facebook live events. We have videos that you can share with your colleagues, our patients in this case. That, you know, uh, the first one we did was about wearing the mask, uh, social distancing, you know, how to wear that mask correctly, how far apart you need to be, uh, about staying home and being in situations where you're not putting yourself at risk. And then also we, uh, we reshare articles we feel like have good science behind them, are, are good policy. Um, you know, that's probably our main focus right now. We also have a Twitter page where we do the same thing. Uh, and also we uh, disseminate information through e, uh, emails to our colleagues all over North Texas. And we also work with the Texas Medical Association to share good information. All right, so you mentioned Facebook uh, and the, the you know ways to consume some of the information and uh, the, the Facebook live chats, the, the free chats that focus on you know a lot of what's going on right now, the various aspects of COVID-19 and other medical issues. What, what can you share with us about those chats and, and when they happen and, and how people can get involved and, and participate? Well, we're doing our Facebook lives every other week on Thursday. The one coming up, uh, tonight has to do with testing. There's been a lot of questions about what's appropriate testing, what isn't appropriate, why are there's why there, is there so much di- discrepancy in a positive test, and that has a lot to do with how we look at science um, in the different labs that are available. You know, some people are asking us in our offices, "Hey, should I get an antibody test? Should I get a COVID test?" Uh, and for the most part, if you had symptoms back three months ago and you think you might have had COVID, at this point, I would say just sit home, do the social distancing, wear the face mask. And if you get sick again, yes, then maybe we should do both testing. The COVID test where we can see through the PCR if you have an active infection or if you were infected in the past with an antibody test. Uh, so it, sometimes it's a little murky in that case because there's false negatives and false positives. And in some cases, if we can't do anything about it, you know, if you're at home and you're doing fine, you're not having respiratory distress, there's not really much we can do right now. There's no effective treatment for the mild cases. You'll get over it. Your immune system will, will start fighting that virus and you'll get better. But if you end up going to the hospital, that's when we need to know what we're dealing with because say we, we assume it's a COVID, 
but in reality, you have some kind of pneumonia that is amenable to antibiotic treatment. So we want to make sure we're treating the right thing. And antibody testing, the PCR testing for the COVID, uh, it needs to be administered in the right place in the right time. Otherwise, we, we might interpret the data incorrectly. Is there something... Okay, so I guess there are a lot of different tentacles we can uh, pursue when it comes to, to COVID. I guess the first thing is, you know, the world is is changing and, and certainly Texas and, and we're, uh, you know, we're, we're moving to different levels of availability and, and what is open and what isn't. From your perspective and, and your expertise, what would you recommend from a social distancing standpoint and maybe things that people it, it is okay that they do now that uh, perhaps it wasn't okay if they did it a few months ago, or should we be observing the same rules as were put into place or recommended a few months ago? Kind of, Where do you stand on all that right now? You know, everything I recommend is all based on the fact that this is a virus that nobody's been exposed to. So our bodies have no immunity whatsoever. So if we allow the doors to open wide like they were before March, we would have millions of cases, and sure, most of those patients would get better, but a huge number would end up in the ICU and on ventilators, and our system would be overwhelmed. And we did such a good job of the social distancing and the the mask wearing here in March and April that we saw those cases come down. Now we're reopening. I'd say, number one, if you're at a high risk, if you have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, don't go out there. You know, you should be ordering online. You should be trying to eat your meals at home, uh, wearing the mask when you're around strangers, if you have to be around strangers, if you go to the physician's office or if you go pick up your medicine, that's the first level that should really be protecting themselves, especially if you're older. You know, if you're older, 65, you're at a high risk to get complications if you are exposed to the COVID virus. Now, as we go down, you're healthier, you're younger. Those are the patients that may have asymptomatic uh, cases of COVID, but they're at risk of spreading it to other people, and that's where you get into danger. Even those patients that are being very protective of their, of their health because of their risk factors might be exposed by somebody else. And that's why I'd say, you know, maybe, not, maybe going to a bar where they're not practicing good social distancing, not wearing masks, which I think we saw over the last couple of weeks is happening, that's not the right thing because eventually that's going to spread the virus over a huge amount of population. So for me, wear your mask whenever you go out. Stay six feet away. Uh, You know, I think businesses now are really getting into it. And and, uh, I know in Dallas County, uh, you really can't go into any business without a mask on. And uh, I think that's very important until we develop a vaccine. Hopefully, we do that over the next six months that maybe by December or January we have vaccine that can be distributed. But until that time, every, everyone is at risk. And there are people that died or are dying right now in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s of this COVID virus. So, sure, the percentages may be with you if you're younger, but at the same time, you're going to spread that if you're not being, if you're a little cavalier about it. So I would say restaurants, if they're practicing good social distancing, which I've been to several, that my my dining, uh, how do you say this, colleagues were six feet away from me. The, the uh, staff were all wearing masks. I felt comfortable there, you know. Um, so it, it, it's just, it's not a, 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 a right fit for everybody. I think in some cases you don't go out. In some cases you make sure that wherever you go they're practicing safe uh, procedures. We're talking with Dr. John Flores. He uh, is a part of the coalition, as uh, as we're saying, but the North Texas Medical Society Coalition. If you're not uh, familiar, this is a group formed this year really to just provide medical support of, of all different kinds uh, to folks. And, and, you know, this is certainly 2020 is a year with uh, all sorts of medical needs and, and challenges that have uh, popped up. I, I'm just curious, you know, Doc, this is a show in which, you know, we promote healthy living and, you know, it's called better living. And 
Uh, working mm-hmm. out is a big part of, of being healthy and, and exercise and fitness. And I know that a lot of people in, you know, maybe checking off those boxes, they rely on going to a gym. Uh, and there are a lot of great gyms out there. And, you know, at first they weren't open. Now they're back open. What are your thoughts on on that, uh, going to gyms? And is that something I know uh, – you know, you gave kind of a, a great general overview and, and talked specifics with certain things. But what about a gym? Is there anything maybe more specific with a gym? A, a do or a don't? Stay away? Maybe go there cautiously? What are your What are your thoughts on the gym? Well, you know, most primary care doctors are pretty much all the colleagues I have are going to tell you, getting out, exercising is so important. More important than uh, smoking or not smoking. It's that important, and, and so we're always telling patients, please exercise. You know, go to the gym, run, swim, whatever you want. And so the fact that all the gyms closed down, we saw a lot of people gain weight. I mean, we're calling it the COVID-10 or the 15, whatever you want to call it, but it's a true case where a lot of my patients now are struggling to lose that weight they gained in the last uh, two to three months. Now, the gyms, they've uh, really tried hard to make sure that they have good spacing, uh, patients are not patients, I'm sorry, customers are coming in wearing masks or not. So I think uh, if I was to go to a gym and feel comfortable, everybody there should be wearing masks, especially if you're uh, really exerting yourself. You're going to spread the the little droplets of water that could be infected with COVID farther and, and spread it farther out. And so you're putting more people at risk and you're more at risk if people aren't wearing masks. And I, I'm not saying it's easy to wear a mask. It is definitely safe to wear a mask to work out. Uh, you know, you should go to a gym where the different equipment is spaced out so you don't feel like you're working out right next to somebody. Um, I know, uh, at least in my gym, the spa areas are not open. I think that's appropriate at this time. Uh, so it, it's a give and take. you got to make sure they're being safe and that you can feel safe when you go. You know, besides that, you know, something I took up was running. I haven't done it for a while, and I said, you know, I'm going to get out and start doing two, three, four, five miles. And the nice thing about running, you don't have to wear a mask. As long as you're not close to somebody, you can run as free as you want. Granted, it is warm in Texas, so get out early, go in the evening, uh, cycle, you know, do those things where you feel like your gym isn't being protective. But I think in in Texas – our uh, gym owners are being conscientious and, and, you know, they're very health conscious. So it just kind of you know, falls along with that. You, I, I think a, a big question just on the, the, the fitness, now you think of sports and, and we got sports starting back up and eventually people are going to be able to attend these sporting events. W- where do you stand? And again, uh, you know, the answer to this might just be in, in everything you've said over the last few minutes, but uh, we do have a lot of sports fans who are listening to this. So uh, anything specific in terms of attending sporting events that, that are important for people to consider? Yeah, I think I think it's the same the same line you're going to hear from me. You know, you got to be able to say, you know what, am I far enough away from that person if he was sick that I can feel comfortable? And are we all wearing masks when we go out to this kind of sporting event? And I think it can be done, but it's not going to be the same thing as when you know last year. You know, Cowboys Stadium is probably going to be if they do it right. You know, uh, spaced out, and I, I really, you know, that's a decision for those owners to make, and I'm not sure how they're going to do it correctly. Uh, but you know, I love sports, and I, I'd hate for them to see them suffer. So I'm hoping that they can work it out, and you know, they can come ask us, "Hey, does this sound appropriate?" And that's what we're here for—to give people advice like this, so we can get back to uh, a semblance of where we were. But man, I, I think it's going to be tough. I really do. Now, some people have asked me, Doc, and, and I am uh, by no means a doctor and, and certainly never claim to be, uh, are we ever going to get back to full stadiums again? And, and will we ever have those those amazing atmospheres? And my inclination is, yeah, I, I think we will eventually. There's no rush to do it. But uh, I guess what say you on this? Will we get back to these sold-out crowd, raucous environments and, and sporting events? Or do you think that this is going to you know, create a change that's going to last for several years? Mm, I think I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think we are going to get back. I think you're going to still have people that are going to say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I think some, and some people are going to say, you know what, why don't I just sit at home and watch it on my big screen or watch it at the bar? But I think we'll once the vaccinations come about, once we have uh, more people doing the social distancing and wearing masks when it's appropriate, I think we're going to get back to a semblance of where we were, you know, a few years ago. But 
you know, the vaccine isn't a for sure thing. You know, we still have several months to make sure it's safe for everybody. Uh, but I think we're going to treat it more like the flu season, you know, where if you're sick, don't get around people. You know, I, you know, there's some some uh, countries in, that have treated this virus a different way. You know, take Iceland, for example. You know, they were very uh, on top of when somebody got sick to do contact tracing to make sure that anybody they exposed was put in quarantine. And they have almost no cases right now, and nobody wears masks. Their businesses are open. At the same time, they aren't allowing certain big events to happen. Uh, but uh, I think that's something we can learn from. Dr. John Flores with us. Vaccine is a, a hot word these days, and, and I think you even referenced it. Just uh, taking a step back from from the COVID situation, but in general, uh, you know, I think a lot of people know that a vaccine can help and, and you know, they've heard that word for years and, and you get flu vaccines that are available each year. But what's the process for a vaccine? And, and for people asking, well, why is it taking so long? Uh, what, what is the reason and, and how do vaccines get created so that they are they're proper and effective? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I think you have to put the, the vaccine production in perspective to earlier vaccines. You know, when the 1918 uh, flu pandemic hit, we had no clue about the genetics of that flu for several years, decades, you know. And now the, the Chinese provided us with the genetics of that, of that virus. Granted, it is mutating uh, not a lot, according to the colleagues I've talked to. In uh, you know the colleague I'm talking to tonight, Dr. Gomez, uh, immunologist from University of Houston, is going to go over this in more in depth tonight on our Facebook Live. But you know his point was that luckily this one is mutating, but not a whole lot. You know when Iceland looked at this, we they saw cases from Europe that had changed from the cases they were seeing from America. And so when you have that change, you've got to 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 identify a part of that viral protein that you can have the antibody attack. And so they've got to decide which one to, to, which protein on that virus to attack. And then they go through trials, they go through animal trials to make sure it does, it's effective. They go through human trials to make sure it doesn't harm people. We've had vaccines in the past come out too early and people were harmed. And we don't want that to happen. Number one, what's the point? We're not doing anybody good. And two, you know, the first thing we learn in medical school is do no harm. We do not want to harm our patients. We do not want to give a treatment that doesn't work. And so that's why we're making sure it's effective and that it uh, is safe. And so it's going to take a little while. But then if you look at how long it took to come out with a polio vaccine, some of these other vaccines, it was years. It wasn't overnight. People died year after year with polio until in the 50s they had a vaccination. And uh, it, was a, it was a major medical breakthrough. And people, I think they take for granted the, the fact that we can identify something so quickly and give you the right antibodies to it. And um, it, it's, it's really astonishing to me when I look at the history of vaccination, smallpox, the things that we don't have to deal with anymore, measles that used to kill young children uh, almost overnight. Uh, you know, so uh, sure, it is going to take time but it's going to be a relatively short amount of time. And I'm very optimistic that we're going to have a vaccine uh, relatively quickly within the next, I think before the next summer. Uh, and people say, oh, my God, another summer of this? Trust me, it's a short time. But if we don't do it right, we're going to uh, fuel those people. They're going to fight against vaccinations. And, and right, we don't want to do the wrong thing just because it's going to, you know, it feels good to get something quickly done. Dr. John Flores with us. Uh, we, we talked about this earlier. Uh, Dr. Flores is uh, about as Texan as it comes. Uh, Duncanville ties, practicing in Little Elm since 98. Uh, went to UT uh, for undergrad, med school at UT Southwestern, residency at Methodist Hospital in Dallas. I'm just curious, this is not a medical question at all, but your time here in, in Texas in the area, what's what has amazed you most about the way North Texas has evolved and changed over the years? <laughs> yeah, oh, man, you, you wouldn't believe. You know, growing up in Duncanville, driving to downtown Dallas, used to work at a, at a bar called uh, Baby Dose, you know, as a bartender there. And it, it was a different world, you know. It's, Duncanville then was like a small town. Now it's pretty much like Dallas. You know, when I go to Duncanville now, it's like, well, I'm pretty much still in Dallas. And, you know, the way it's evolved from uh, 
a small town. Now, you know, nobody used to go to downtown Dallas. Now there's high rises down there. There's apartments. You know, you have Clyde Warren Park, which I couldn't believe. I, I think it was the best thing ever. You know, a park right in the middle of the city. It was kind of not like Central Park, but, you know, we're heading that way. You know, get out with everybody else, and hopefully we can start getting out again soon. Uh, you know, the cultural uh, achievements we have in North Texas and Dallas, you know, the symphony, the orchestra, our, our museums. Uh, it's just wonderful to live in this community now. And, and I think there are, we still have some challenges with our demographics and uh, the way the people inside of the city sometimes feel differently the people that live more in the suburbs. Uh, but, you know, I really love North Texas. I love Dallas. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to go against it. You know, we've got great sports, too. You know, the, the, the success of the Cowboys and the Mavericks. Not so much baseball, but maybe someday, you know, but uh, I really enjoy North Texas. Well, Dr. Flores, we really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Once again, if people want to take advantage of the coalition, what do they do? Like us on Facebook, North Texas Medical Society Coalition. Look at our Facebook Live tonight. You can see our previous ones where we answered more questions about the COVID virus. Look for us on Twitter. Well, there you go. Uh, Dr. Flores, again, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Thank you for your time. All right, I'm Jared Sandler, 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Hey, be sure to tune in next week as we focus on other organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The Step Back 3. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.